0: The Becoming Human in the Cosmos podcast. This is number one titled, Why This Book? Why This Author? It is derived from a book I've written called Becoming Human in the Cosmos The Purpose and Ultimate Destiny of Human Life. This book is available on Amazon for Kindle and such like devices and costs $5. Dedications. I dedicate this book first to my mother who, when I was a kid, gave me pencils and paper for birthdays and told me, Right! I would have rather had a baseball glove. But here it is, Mom, I wrote, and thanks for all you did for me. Second, I dedicate it to Alexander Solzhenitsyn, whose passing has left Russia and the world without a conscience. His wisdom begins and finishes this work and graces it throughout, I believe he was the greatest writer and thinker of the 20th century. Remembering Alexander Solzhenitsyn, a haiku. For those of you who don't know, a haiku is a Japanese short poetry form. It consists of only 17 syllables in three lines. The first line has five syllables, the second seven, the third five, which relates somehow Back to the first. Solzhenitsyn said, Live not by lies. Legacy. For Russia. And us. Acknowledgements. In putting this work together, I acknowledge my good friend Carrie Wood, whose mutual interest in the near-death experience led me to many sources, which make this 2019 edition a better work. I also would like to thank my wife's cousin, Dr. Judith Norman, who reviewed this work in general and the chapter on Becoming Female in the Cosmos in particular, and gave me constructive and helpful criticism from one who is required to do much reading because of her profession. Lastly, I would like to thank my good friend and associate, Craig Whitmore, whose technical expertise is making possible the podcasts of this work. Couldn't have done it without you, Craig. The cover was put together from ideas submitted by me to The Cover Counts. Earth is not our home. It is just our bedroom in our home, the cosmos. We are temporarily confined to our bedroom for the misbehavior that is normal with immaturity. There's a party going on downstairs and we can hear the laughter, the sparkling wit and conversation and smell the delicious foods prepared for the festivities. We long to break out of our bedroom and join the celebrations. But until we mature and behave, those throwing the party, our heavenly parents, know we'd only be a disruption. However, when we do grow up, There are jobs aplenty, things to do, and an exciting company with which to mingle, share thoughts and stories, learn, and enjoy the eternal expansion of our minds and souls. I like Hugh Nibley's take in One Eternal Round, page 45. Great things are going on in the cosmos. But for me, the big question is, How do I get in on it all? And that is why I wrote this book. Great things are going on in the cosmos. And how do we get in on it all? Well, the second part of this conversation was why this author, in writing a book of this sort, it behooves the author to let the reader know In the leftover vernacular of the 20th century Where he's coming from And where his head is at Right behind the at As my mother always used to say to me When I ended a question with that preposition First, where I'm coming from I was born and raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints Also known as a Mormon church In Portland, Oregon This is the church headquartered in Salt Lake City. I write this book, however, not as a member of that church, but just as a dreamer and a philosopher wannabe who is coincidentally associated with that religion. My background will surface both intentionally and unintentionally, and all I can say is fair warning then, you know now where I'm coming from. Now, anyone using this book to say this is what the LDS Church teaches is doing so against my desires. I have no official capacity to speak for that church, whatever. Everything I say here is my own thoughts, my own philosophies, my own opinions, and do not reflect the official teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. it's Like French essayist Michel de Montaigne wrote, I put forward formless and unresolved notions, not to establish the truth, but to seek it. I meddle rashly with every sort of subject. The Complete Essays of Montaigne, translated by Donald M. Frame. And why cosmos Newton, instead of universe? The dictionary definition of cosmos is the universe as a manifestation of law and order. I'm sure they mean largely mechanical order, as in Newton's mechanics, but I'd broaden that to mean the law and order of God. Universe is the gas, rocks, dust, radiation, and all the stuff that goes bong as it bounces off your space helmet. That makes up the material universe we see on a starry night. I do find the concept of universe limiting. It's so small, so finite, when one considers the current thinking on multiple universes. Universes all over the place. As I will observe later, infinity squared. Cosmos could well mean the entirety of all the universes, everything that is and all that isn't, as the Egyptians express it. I think there is a true infinity to cosmos, where universe is ultimately just finite. We are infinite and eternal beings. It shouldn't be unreasonable to think in those terms when dealing with a finite universe. Let's expand our infinite minds out to infinity. Same with the cosmos to which we mortals will shortly be graduating and placing ourselves for our eternal occupations. We need to know what's going on out there so we can conform to it and be ready. That is the eschatological outlook, the subject of the first chapter, and the theme of this work. As it is said in the LDS religion, we are not earning heaven. We are learning heaven. Well, fair warning then. That's what I hope to do with this book. I will say in many places that I believe the cosmos is a nuts and bolts proposition. That it behooves us to find out how it works and who and what we really are, so we can best figure out where we fit in. It's a hands-on proposition, tangible, real, rational. It will all make sense and be fair and just, no matter how things are at this point of our temporal and temporary mortal existence. It makes as much sense to me to prepare for our cosmos occupations as it does for the young here to go to school and prepare for their adult lives. I hope this book will be a friend to you. I understood in a great book's reading course that we should carry on a dialogue with the author of the book as if he he or she were in our reading room with us. The uh, Books of John Adams, perhaps our least appreciated founding father, were terribly brutalized. The bindings were worn and torn. Pages were falling out. And he had written in the margins of his book many comments such as Scalawag, Dolt, Dunderhead. If my book looks like that after you're through with it, I'll have a big smile on my face. This book is not to start a new religion or philosophy. The ones we have are doing just fine, thank you. There will be observations on religion as we go. As a matter of fact, one of the chapters is titled, at least partly, Religion. But no, I won't be proselytizing for the LDS religion. To me, true religion is being where God wants you to be, doing what God wants you to do, and being open-minded to change. Should God bring it your way? If you're happy with your current religious, spiritual status, that's enough for me. In the near-death experience of Howard Storm, my descent into death, pages 72 through 73, Storm asked God, which is the best religion? And he expected him to name one of the popular Protestant denominations, Methodist or Baptist or Presbyterian. Instead, the answer he got from God was the religion that brings you closest to God is the best. So this book is not for religious brokering, but for fun, for fanciful speculation with the hope of getting a finite handle on the infinite. Now, you will find that I am not above fanciful speculation. Okay, here are some teasers. The number of Earth-type inhabited planets in the cosmos. The source of God's power, or why people in heaven don't have to go to the bathroom. Sex in heaven. Why God, even though he's omniscient, never gets bored. Two, yes, two solutions to the old if God is all-powerful, then he can make a rock so big that he can't lift it. Problem. Ha-ha. Therefore, God is not all-powerful. Well, thank you. I've come up with two solutions to that conundrum. they will be discussed as we go. A recipe for stew. You think I'm kidding, don't you? Outer space pirates. How evolution, creation, and reincarnation all come together. A solution to the abortion issue that will satisfy neither side on it, but is based on near-death and past-life hypnosis regression. Mosquitoes and flies in, yes, heaven, and many other journeys wherever my imagination and fancy take me. When traveling, I always take scenic routes, same when I contemplate the cosmos. Once again, Michel de Montaigne. I speak my mind freely on all things, even on those which perhaps exceed my capacity and which I by no means hold to be within my jurisdiction. And so the opinion I give of them is to declare the measure of my sight, not the measure of things. Same book quoted earlier, page 298. As Paul said of prophecy, First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, 11 through 12. We see through a glass darkly. My glass is as dark as anyone's, and I'm sure there are errors in this book. I guarantee it. I'll tell you what, if you don't take this book any more seriously than I do, we'll get along just fine. Montaigne, once again, is quoted in Eric Hoffer's The True Believer. Page All I say is by way of discourse and nothing by way of advice. I should not speak so boldly if it were my due to be believed. Montaigne also observed, No one is exempt from saying silly things. The misfortune is to say them with earnest effort. Same book quoted earlier, page 599. There are silly things here. My earnestness is not to establish them as gospel, but to generate thought and discussion. This book is not the product of deep research in any one of the specific areas I shall cover. Rather, it's an amalgam of readings in several areas. I have only a bachelor's degree, and that in general studies. I'm not an expert in any one of the fields I shall use in developing my thesis. It was said by the pioneers as they crossed the Platte River that it was an inch wide at the source and a mile wide at the mouth. That's true of me just as well. I make no bones about it. I am a mud puddle in a parking lot. Shallow, but I cover a lot of ground. There is enough half-baked, in my theories, to provide North America with soft cookies for six months. Remember the old saying, Jack of all trades, but master of none. I am a jack of all knowledge, master of none. I am not a guru. I am a glue What I say sticks together. <laughs> Sorry. Now, as Professor Hugh Nibley noted, and by the way, I will be quoting Hugh Nibley extensively throughout this work. Professor Nibley was a longtime professor at Brigham Young University, the Mormon College in Provo, Utah. And Professor Nibley had quite an education, quite a reputation in the education field, especially in ancient Egyptology and such studies. But Nibley quoted... In a book called Temple and Cosmos, page 442, this is the historian's dilemma. If his view is sweeping enough to be significant, it is bound to be inadequately documented. If it is adequately documented, it is bound to be trivial in scope. Now, if that is true for the historian, how much more so for me, dealing with the entire Cosmos. Nibley comments further, Old Testament and related studies, how all of the books are in the library, but the process of putting all those books into assorted, organized piles is an enormously daunting task that would challenge even a computer, and let alone interrelating all of those 100 odd piles. Well, if that's a challenge for Nibbly and the professors and the computers, then what is this for me in trying to put everything together to give a picture of the cosmos and our situation in it and how we prepare for it. And yet, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Here is that step. Now, one may ask, do you really think you know what's going on in the cosmos, that you have a handle on it all? And I answer, yep, sure do. Now, before you accuse me of arrogance and hubris, let me put that into a metaphorical framework. Imagine an elementary school field trip, first graders. They hop on the bus. They go to the neighborhood nuclear power plant and they are shown around the facilities and they are told about how nuclear power generates electricity for their homes. They are given pictures to color when they get home. They are given milk and cookies and sent on their way. Now, I am like these enthusiastic little first graders. They will tell you, if asked, do they know all about nuclear power generation? And they'll say, sure, we do. These things, tiny things called atoms, are split apart. And when they are split, they make a lot of heat, which boils water, which makes steam, which turns turbines, which make electricity. Those little first graders are absolutely sure they know all about nuclear power generation. On that same level, I'm absolutely sure that I know all about the cosmos. And yet, really, it's only a first-grader's knowledge of this cosmos. Plus, the kids got milk and cookies. I didn't. Anyway, the cosmos and what is going on in it has been kind of a lifelong quest for me. I have read and saved many books that I felt all relate to this effort. Now, this doesn't make me any better than anybody else. Everybody has their specialties. Everybody, all of you listening to this podcast, could teach me something I don't know. And in that, we are all equal and we can all learn from each other. And furthermore, it is my basic shallowness, this lack of expertise that I feel makes me most fit to write this work. I have no loyalty to any one field of study. I've been able to superficially peruse all fields of study and find parallels and similarities in all of them to bring to this effort. You may remember the familiar Indian proverb about the blind men and the elephant. Five blind men go to examine an elephant. The first examines the trunk and says, well, the elephant is most like a tree. The second examines the ears and says, no, the elephant is most like a fan. The third examines the beast's side and says, no, an elephant is like a wall. The fourth examines the legs and says, the elephant is like the columns or pillars of a building. And the fifth examines the tail and says the elephant is a ropey animal. And away they all go, arguing their different points of view. Now what they're doing is arguing instead of synthesizing. Remember the old Greek formula, analyze, theorize, and then synthesize. Put it all together. It is a human fallibility and weakness that we have a tendency to specialize in our own narrow fields in science this is called deconstruction and a scientist will narrow their fields down and down until as the old saying goes they know everything about nothing well i know nothing about everything but um i am trying to relate the whole and put the whole together. Now, the blind men that I will be using in putting this elephant together will be the fields of philosophy, science in particular, biology and theoretical physics, near-death experiences, new age such as reincarnation and past life regression hypnosis, General wisdom literature, that I feel, illustrates the points made by these sources and theology in the form of Scripture and Apocrypha. Now, Apocrypha are books that were contemporary with Scripture, but they were included in the canon. As to interpreting Scripture, which is always a snake's nest amongst professional theologians, I use the old Ockham's Razor. Now, Ockham's Razor says that of all the possible explanations of a thing, and theoretically there are virtually infinite explanations of things, but use the one that is the most simple, that requires the least interpretation, the least special pleading. Now, it may not lead to the truth, but... It will at least lead to a very good starting point. Um, let me give you an example. In Ephesians chapter 3 verses 15 in the New Testament, Paul uses the phrase "family in heaven." Now a family is defined by the dictionary as a group of people consisting of parents and their children. I therefore assume that the heavenly family consists of a father mother, and their children, us. And I don't try for more complicated or allegorical interpretations. We'll have more on that later, indeed, in an entire chapter. I'll use metaphor extensively, as I just did with the children touring the nuclear facility. A metaphor is the only real way we have to get our finite minds around the infinite. Consider this metaphor. A person in New Orleans in August of 2005 is given a one million piece jigsaw puzzle and he's told that when he gets it all together, he will have a complete picture of the cosmos and what's going on. Great, he thinks. He sorts the pieces, starts to sort them anyway, finds a corner or two, sorts a few colors, And then all of a sudden, Hurricane Katrina comes along and scatters the pieces in the wind and the filthy water. When things settle down, he's allowed to go back to his home and in 25 minutes find as many pieces as he can and put the picture puzzle together as best as he can. And that's my situation. I don't have all the pieces. They have been scattered and I can only put this together as best I can, and I make no more promises beyond that. Now, schooling, classrooms, education, they are a big part of the cosmos, as we shall see in later chapters in this book. And if we don't see ourselves as students being led and taught by a concerned parent, then we'll miss a great portion of what our lives are all about. God has his school. We are in it. This school has graduations from grade to grade, tests of plenty, homework, and when we think we can enjoy summer vacation, surprise, we find ourselves enrolled in graduate school, postgraduate school, remedial training, maybe even vocational technical community college to pick up a training and guide for ourselves to be profitably employed while the rest of our schooling continues and don't even think about dropping out. That is one of the worst offenses in the eternities, which will also be discussed in a later chapter. Many kids go to school to drink and party and have sex. They take easy courses, cheat to get grades, or have someone research and type up their papers for them. Some treat this mortal college in the same manner. Two differences between here and college. Here we all graduate, that is, die, and our employers, God and his angels, know exactly how well we prepared, how we cheated or not, whether we worked honestly or diligently. The job we get in the cosmos will be a consequence of our student behavior here and since our employment is forever without termination downsizing or layoff we want to be sure it won't be some menial job such as sweeping up the gold paved streets of heaven now nothing wrong with cleaning streets if that's what you want to do but do you want to do it forever that's great if you do. But for those of us who would prefer more challenging work for the eternities, it is my hope that this book, Becoming Human in the Cosmos, will at least set us to thinking along paths that will lead us to maximum happiness and fulfillment of our natures and potential in an eternal future. Now, this shouldn't be taken as a denigrating shot at street sweepers. It's shoot. Now, this shouldn't be taken as a denigrating shot at street sweepers and those who do blue-collar labor. I drove a truck for 21 years, a log truck and a dump truck. You can't get more blue-collar than that. There is this tale in the Near-Death Experience Visit in The Eternal Journey, How Near-Death Experiences Illuminate Our Earthly Lives, by Craig Lundahl and Harold Winnison, page 188. We appeared to be alone there except for the street sweeper. I felt prompted to talk to the street sweeper and congratulated him on his efforts. He said work was a joy to him, and he derived pleasure from doing the best job he could at all times. Every activity there contributes to the glory of the whole, and the bottom line is to take pride and care in one's talents and abilities and the contribution you can make. And at the end of the day, the street cleaner went to just as nice a home and neighborhood as did the physicist who had just pushed the button for the next big bang creation of a new universe, and there are no material inequalities in that realm. But children grow up and become adults. As we ask kids, so must we ask ourselves. What do you want to be when you grow up in the cosmos? The old vision of sitting on a cloud and playing a harp or eternally singing praises in a celestial choir just doesn't cut it. Playing a harp forever, singing praises forever, that's just damn boring. We as offspring of God are creatures of infinite growth, development, possibility. There's a whole cosmos out there we need to grow up to, and we need to prepare our souls for eternal occupations. I believe that concept is as real as going to college here to prepare for an adult career life. That, in a nutshell, is the overriding theme of this book. And once again, Professor Nebley, great things are going on in the cosmos, but the question for me is How do I get in on it all? Look at the space beyond the confines of our planet. The pictures the Hubble telescope sends us give us a glimpse of a growing, expanding cosmos. For just one example, there's the Horsehead Nebula, which I have on the cover of this book. An enormous cloud of gas several light years across that has numerous bright points in it. Now those bright points, about 16 if I recall, are galaxies, not planets, suns, or solar systems, but entire galaxies like our Milky Way galaxy taking shape. Give it another few billion years, and who knows how many habitable Earth-type planets will be ready to receive the spirit offspring of God for the mortal phase of their eternal education and preparation. We will have already been there and done that and if prepared and worthy, will probably be put into positions to help them on their eternal journey. And that's just one nebula. How many more are there in the universe in various stages of formation? We have to see this as an ongoing process. We're not God's first creation, nor are we the only one, and we certainly won't be his last. It is said the course of God is one eternal round. As long as there is life coming online in the cosmos, this process will continue, and I'm sure life will be as permanent a part of the cosmos as God Himself. If we could look into the universe, we would see His children at all stages of growth and development, many way ahead of us, many others following in our footsteps. In the Ginza, as quoted by Hugh Nibley, a very important and very old work of the Mandaeans, Jesus is told, Go down to that place where there are no homes and no worlds. Create there for us another world after the fashion of the sons of salvation. Now, that phrase, sons of salvation, gives me to think that the work of God is can be described as a family business. We could even put a label on it, God and Children, Salvation Incorporated. Now, as William James put it in his essays in Pragmatism, page 132, we and God have business with each other, and in opening ourselves to his influence... Our deepest destiny is fulfilled. And what will be your part in this burgeoning industry, this family business, God and Children, Salvation Incorporated? That is what this book will focus on, our destiny and place in the cosmos, or indeed, assuming theoretical physics is correct, in new bubble universes coming online all the time. Imagine infinity squared we need not look for higher life forms in space we are it the highest life form in space is a matured fully developed and perfected human being it's god now at this point we are not fully developed fully matured and perfected not by any stretch of the imagination like i say we're trapped in our bedroom planet earth and we're not yet ready to go into the cosmos. Howard Storm, in his book, My Descent into Death, pages 43 through 44, paints a tantalizing picture of our future as we mature. He says, the great gifts that God wants to give us will not be given until we are loving enough to handle them. God wants to give us the power to control matter and energy with our minds, the ability to communicate directly with our thoughts, to travel through time and space by will, to have knowledge by contemplation. The power of these gifts is beyond our wildest imagination, but they will not be ours until we mature spiritually and can use these powers wisely and lovingly. Think of these powers to control matter with your mind, to travel through space by time and will, to have knowledge by contemplation, and think of what those powers would do in the hands of dictators and despots. No, we're not ready. It's like the Ring of Gyges, which was an ancient Greek story about this guy who finds this ring. If he puts it on his finger and turns it, he becomes invisible. Now, what does he do with those powers? Well, first off, he kills the king and seduces the king's wife. He goes into the king's treasury and robs it, and so on and so forth. Now, none of us are going to be given the Ring of Gyges because we would all be sorely tempted in those things. And the same thing with the powers of God. We are simply not yet ready for them. We can see where we as the human race need much changing growth and maturing for instance would you give your six-year-old the keys to a lamborghini a submachine gun and some hand grenades and tell him to go out and have fun (laughs) i don't think so not if you're a good parent well being neither scholar philosopher theologian scientist nor expert at anything except driving a truck what am i I am a man lying on my back in the grass, on a balmy, cold summer's evening. There are no city lights or moon to wash out the stars, and above me from west to east I can see the Milky Way, my home galaxy spread across the sky. Perhaps the lawn was cut earlier in the day, and the rich scent of fresh mown grass adds to the overall sensory experience. As I gaze in rapture into the night sky, I can almost feel myself lifting off the lawn and floating among the stars. I ask, what is this all about? What is the purpose of life? Indeed, what is life and where is it from? Why do I have it? And what should I do with it? What is the ultimate destiny of human existence? And what should I do to prepare for it? Is there a God at the beginning of all this? And what should be my relationship, my duties and obligations to that God? Join me, please. My lawn are yours. You don't agree with my temporary conclusions? Fine. Share yours with me. Life is a wonderful journey, and I'll be the better for your thoughts and insights. I hope you'll be the better for mine. I'll add this from Ralph Waldo Emerson, paraphrase. Every man is my superior in that he knows something I don't know and can teach me. Let's learn from each other and see if we can put this elephant together. And thus we conclude this first podcast of the series, Becoming Human in the Cosmos, based on the book I have on Amazon. The next podcast will be titled Prologue. And we'll deal with who we really are and how we came to be. Join me, please. And thanks for tuning in. And special thanks to Craig Whitmore, my technical guy. Thanks, Craig. Couldn't have done it without you.